keeping up on Seattle area politics is tough. Who has time to sit through a three-hour council meeting and sort out which decisions will affect you most? All those in favor say aye. Aye. Well, what if getting caught up on current events was as simple as getting a cup of coffee with some City Hall insiders who know which stories are hot and which are not? Welcome to Seattle News, Views, and Brews. All right, let's get the party started. Welcome back to Seattle News, Views, and Brews, the podcast that looks at Seattle area politics and just can't stop staring. I'm Brian Callanan, your host. I'm also a host on Seattle Channel. The views here expressed are my own. We are recording today's podcast remotely through the magic of Zoom and featuring the wizardry yet again of one Kevin Schofield of Seattle City Council Insight. Ahoy there, Kevin. Hey there. And just for the record, my opinions stated are not my own. All right. All right. Good to know. know. I found him on the street, you know. (laughs) Pick him up wherever you can. Special thanks to City Grind Espresso, the coffee stand on the first floor of City Hall. Shut down, of course, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but still our background noise sponsor. Make sure you help them out. Buy a gift card if you can. And also, here's a request. Please support local journalism. This podcast runs on your Patreon dollars. Can't do it without your help. So thank you. Appreciate your help there. Let's fire things up with right here, right now. All right, Kevin, here we are in the third full week of May and the Seattle City Council, as of the recording of this podcast, without a lot of fireworks on the agenda for this week. One big ticket piece they're dealing with, though, Council Bill 11971, reallocating some money to help out de-intensifying shelters for homeless people. So basically, Council got about $14 $14 million or so in COVID assistance from the feds in early May. They've spent most of it. Now they're trying to figure out how to spend this last $1.4 million. They're looking at the shelter issue. What do you know about where the money's going, Kevin? Yeah, so um, the money is going to try to make sure that uh, the homeless shelters that they have uh, today, mm-hmm. which can be pretty crowded, they can yeah. cram a lot of people in there, yeah. um, don't become basically just wells of COVID, right? right? Where it gets in and it affects everybody there. So they want to practice, be able to practice some kind of social distancing there that they do everybody else. And that's smart. That's good public health measure. Yeah. But that needs means they need to find more space to put people in. Right? Right. Because they can't they just want don't want to uh, kick more people out to the street. Yeah. So what they've been doing, you know, in King County has been doing this too is been using hotel rooms because right. hotel, there are a lot of empty hotels right now. So there are a lot of spaces. It's a little expensive. It's not something they can do forever. Yeah. Although it does raise some interesting questions about if this turns out to be really effective and a really good way to stabilize folks who are homeless so that they can do sort of some wraparound services around them, then, you know, maybe even if it's expensive, it's cost effective to do. Yeah. It's really interesting to see this, this whole idea of de-intensifying. They don't, I think they're trying to move away potentially from this whole congregate shelter type of environment there, which I think people have known for a long time isn't something that really, I don't know how to put this the right way, isn't something that a lot of people who are on the street really deem as a good option for getting off the street and, and doesn't seem to be that, that good option that helps people get into or transition into permanent housing. I think we've really seen with the push towards a lot more tiny home villages. I mean, they built that spirit village place up on, in central uh, in the central district very quickly here. It seems like that type of environment where you've got four walls or whatever else seems to be a better option than the congregate shelters. It almost feels like services might be shifting that way. Are you seeing that, Kevin? 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good observation. I think, you know, we started out this, you know, for the longest time, everybody is doing what they would call basic shelter now. It was yeah. you know, days only and it was mats on the floor. Right. And we moved to enhanced shelter for 24 hours a day. Um, in some cases, giving some people a little bit more sort of space on their own, but opportunity right. to store their personal belongings mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Just sort of, uh, and, and then we've moved to tiny home villages, which are really an improvement. And, and the and the data shows that um, more people move from permanent to permanent housing from tiny home villages than they yep. do from enhanced shelters, right? Yeah. And so, you know, we may learn more even beyond this, but it's not just about the space. Mm-hmm. It's also about, um, wraparound services. So there's sort of two big concepts here. One is what they call housing first. Yeah. The notion being you can't get really get people sort of move you know, back, reestablished, moved on with the job and, mm-hmm. and everything they need if you know they're not like in one place. If yeah, they if they're not stably housed, right, right. So right. Get, them, get them stably housed first and then you're off to a good start. Yeah. And then a wraparound services, get the right services to them. Make sure somebody, you know, there's a case manager who's mm-hmm. engaging with them right. on a regular basis and make right. sure they're really following up. Yeah. They're really getting the services who can like knock down barriers and hurdles for them so mm-hmm. they really get what they need. Yeah. A related issue here, Kevin, I know the council was talking about this last week, saw a presentation about it co-lead. So this is a different twist on the lead program, law enforcement assisted diversion, helping low-level offenders when they get out of prison and putting them in hotels. This is what co-lead is all about. Basically add COVID plus lead, you get co-lead. But this is an interesting development, I think. The council was really struggling earlier this year with the mayor to even get full funding for lead that they were looking for. And now we're kind of pivoting a little bit. Let's talk about co-lead a little bit, because I think it's this kind of using the hotel environment to help out uh, people who are homeless. Well, and and it is a, it is a pivot for the lead program. The lead mm-hmm. program was a criminal justice diversion yes. program, mm-hmm. right? So a set of low-level offenders who, uh, you know, would otherwise end up cycling in and out yeah. of jail. Get out of jail and go back and to the street, this. basically. Like, yeah. Let's do the same sort of thing. And by the way, a lot of them are homeless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's um, identify them either through the police or through, you know, small businesses or, you know, whoever's, you know, people in the community identifying these folks. Mm-hmm. And then let's get them stabilized. Let's get them wraparound services like yeah. we do with, with other homeless folks. And let's help them really get their life back together so they don't need to continue cycling in and out of of the, um, the, of justice the criminal system. justice yeah, system right. because of these low-level offenses they keep doing. Yeah. Well, the notion for co-lead is, hey, lead actually has been trouble. They, they've had some trouble in, uh, really just doing their job lately because yeah. actually what we've done with King County Jail is they've released a lot of the local yeah. offenders. Right? Yeah, as, as a and, health precaution, I know and, the, the yeah. courts are having issue too being open right. with, in the and time the, of and COVID. The, and, the, and the police are you know ha- showing a little more discretion in who they're arresting because they don't want to be putting people into jails and places and trying to keep those places crowded. Yeah. Right? So in particular, with a whole bunch of people being released from jail, uh, who are low-level offenders are really mm-hmm. not, you know, big, uh, you know, scary threats to society. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lead has kind of pivoted to say, all right, we've got this a bunch of people that are getting out of jail right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Who's going to help them yeah. get stabilized? Because a lot of them don't have a place to live right now. Yeah. They may not have family locally to stay with, mm-hmm. right? And they're just going to end up being homeless and they're going to end up, you know, just continually having these kinds of problems. So mm-hmm. let's 
get with, you know, let's get in contact with them and engage with them as soon as they get out of jail yeah. and make sure they land safely. And so a piece of that has been, once again, let's run out some hotel rooms. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And really so interesting. I, I talked with uh, council member Andrew Lewis about this, who of course is the chair of the select committee on homelessness for uh, the Seattle city council. He's really bullish on this idea. And I think there might have been some pushback a little bit from the mayor early on this whole issue, but Councilmember Lewis is really trying to look at this as a good temporary option. Again, temporary here, because it looks like, at least through Coley, what they're saying, it's something around $69 per night to ho- house one of these people who is who is homeless here. So, I mean, is that a better deal than putting people in jail? It looks like a little ex- expensive when you do the math, but I guess I'm looking at two things here, Kevin, not only the short-term piece, but the long-term piece as well, because you can have people in a hotel for a certain amount of time, let's say weeks or maybe a month. I mean, that starts to push it there. It just doesn't feel like a a full long-term answer, which is always the big 900 pound gorilla in this conversation. But then again, having people, you know, cycling out of the criminal justice system. Yeah, right, right. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, if at some point the things we're doing right now aren't working, Mm -hmm. we have to try different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, this is is a new thing that they're trying, and they're going to, you know, get some data back, and we'll see how it works. Yep, indeed we will. All right, let's move on to Now Hear This. Okay, so this is where we review some of the action over the last week in Seattle politics, listen in to what city leaders are saying about it. And I got to tell you, folks, the grown-ups were fighting last week on the virtual dais. Councilmember Sawant and Councilmember Morales, as we told you last week, had their big business tax plan put on hold. And I'm putting some big old air quotes around that because who knows if and when this will become viable in the future. So this was the plan for a tax on Seattle businesses with more than $7 million in payroll per year with money, at least in the first year for this plan, going towards COVID relief. But then there was a bunch of Green New Deal considerations, too. And Council President Gonzalez basically said, hold it. We don't want to consider something that could get this council in legal trouble because the governor's proclamation in this coronavirus time says all the city's business needs to be COVID focused or a regular necessary business on top of that. And this bill, in her opinion and other opinions, too, including the city attorney's office, didn't fit that definition. So that's when the clubs came off. So here's the soundbite combo here. Council member Sawant accusing Council President Gonzalez as being part of a Democrat political establishment more concerned about business as opposed to public health and Council President Gonzalez's response. I don't appreciate that a movement for or, of, led by ordinary people who are fighting for their lives is being termed as of people who are playing politics. They are fighting for their lives and for their rights, and as far as backroom deals, I think President Gonzalez, you should know very well because you and Councilmember Juarez and Councilmember Herbold participated in that. Everybody knows it. It's been documented. We are trying to manage uh, the spread of a deadly infection uh, amongst our population. So yes, I do care about public health and the assertion by you, Councilmember Salant, that I don't care about public health is offensive. Kevin, some fiery words there, but just a post-mortem, I guess, on this big business tax. Some sharp words words exchanged, and I just wonder, is this going to go anywhere? Definitely some bad blood uh, raised up among council members on this one. So one needs to sort of think about what Sawant is trying to do with this. Yeah. And, you know, as we've talked about before here in the podcast, her bill, as it's written right now, is, is going nowhere. 
Yeah. Right? It's, yep. it's emergency legislation. She may not even have seven votes on the council. But right, the right. Yeah. to go for this, right? Yep. So it is, it is not getting approved in, in, in its current right. form. So it's a straw man out there for people to yell and scream and for yep. and really for her to get her, her base motivated. Her, I was going to say, kind of move the ball down the around. field like she did with but, 15 per hour. Yeah. But it, mm -hmm. it is not actually a real practical proposal that will go forward in this current form. Right. Mm -hmm. So now what Sawant is actually doing is she just she just announced this past Friday yeah. that she wants to still hold a committee hearing mm -hmm. on it. Right. right. Because on she can own. do that within her committee, is my understanding. Well, she can. But it's interesting. She can hold a committee hearing. But these bills aren't in her committee. Right. So unless all the other committee members say, oh, yeah, well, we refer those up to her committee. And they didn't want to do that in the first place. <laughs> right. She right. Right. Wanted right. That. And yeah. they said, no, 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 no. We're not going to yeah. do this. We're going to send this to the budget committee. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So she can. She can hold a hearing. She, I mean, she can ha have a committee meeting. She can actually, you know, invite in whoever she wants and do as much public, you know, do three hours of public comment. Well, I know you're going to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it all means nothing. Yeah. Right? yeah. Because the bills aren't even in our committee. She can't move. She can't amend them. She can't move them out of committee. She can't do anything with them at all. Right. Right. But, but I guess the next shoe to drop here is the whole idea of this whole tax Amazon movement turning into some sort of citizen-led proposition that could be on the ballot this fall or something along the, an, an initiative potentially on the ballot yeah. this fall. Your thoughts about that? And they, and the tax Amazon movement campaign is actually, you know, they, they filed a ballot initiative and they're yeah. trying to gather signatures. They're having trouble gathering signatures. Right. right. We talked right. about that last week too. It's yeah. so tough and to gather signatures right now. Yep. And they, you know, they're at least purporting to do it online, although, mm. you know, it's completely legal for them to do it online. So yeah. uh, any, any, you know, signatures that they collect online are absolutely meaningless as well. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really a matter of how many, you know, printed ballots they can email out to people oh boy. and yeah. get them to print it out sign it and send it back to them yeah. and the magic number is 20,000 if they can yeah. get to 20,000 then they can get something on the ballot but yeah. that's going to be that's going to be really tough for them to do the amount of work that's going to need to go into that ballot measure any ballot measure for that matter for this fall it just seems like a gargantuan task so uh some more ahead on that one, but definitely wanted to cover what was going on with big business tax. Kevin, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. You have done a deep dive on Seattle City Council Insight on some of the many court cases affecting the city. Speaking many, of the city getting many sued, yes, there are, there are a few. Uh, I, I got to say, the city council is not afraid of getting sued. So uh, some interesting uh, back and forth regarding what happened with the big business tax there. Uh, let's uh, focus, if we can, the work you did on I-124. So this, the hotel workers benefits bill basically that voters approved four years ago has faced multiple challenges. The council actually repealed it last year to try to deal with some of these issues, pass some new legislation, but the court case was amended to encompass these new bills. And I hope you're keeping score at home here. Uh, Kevin, can you tell us what's happening with this? Yeah. Okay. So there were originally two lawsuits filed right, against right, right, right. 124. One of them said the whole thing is illegal because it covers multiple topics and there's yeah. a single subject constitutional rule that says you can only talk about one topic. Right. And, and that sort of worked, worked its way mostly through the courts and it really looked like the thing was going to get thrown out yeah. for obvious reasons. It really did cover multiple topics, right? Yeah. And then there's a second one, which is much narrower, that said there's one of the four big provisions in this in, in Initiative 24, which talks about um, requiring hotels to um, provide health benefits to their workers. And they said, well, employee, health pro uh, employee benefit programs um, are actually under federal law 
preempted mm. so, uh, from states and cities and counties okay. uh, legislating around them. They're, yeah. they're preempted, so they're only supposed to be done by the federal law. And that's so that companies that cut across various jurisdictions don't have to dr- deal with like this whole, you know, myriad of, yeah, of, of, myriad yeah. of mm-hmm. rules that change mm-hmm. from city to county to right, state right. all over the place. They can just deal with one set of federal law. So like right. a company like Starbucks, right? This just mm-hmm. like, does every store have to have a different kind of benefit plan mm-hmm. just to deal with right. the local right, rules? Right, 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 right. So there's a, there's a little bit of the method to madness to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, what happened last summer was the city council, led by Councilmember Mosqueda, repealed Initiative 20, uh, 124 because mm-hmm. it had been around now long enough that they could actually repeal it. Yes, right. And they wrote four separate bills to do most of the same thing. But obviously with four different bills, it, it, it you know, doesn't invoke the single subject law. Right, right. And, right. Um, and they also went in and rewrote a whole bunch of the, problem, the most problematic parts of, mm-hmm. of, of, of the bills. Kind of modeling it after San Francisco's law was my well, understanding. Well, so so the one part of it that had to do with these issues around uh, requiring businesses to provide health benefits mm-hmm. and modeled after a San Francisco one. Right, okay. It was a little different. It wasn't exactly the same, but a, but a, if you kind of squint, it looked, it looked uh, <laughs> sort of generally similar. Got it, got right. it. And so this narrow, so the, the big lawsuit uh, became moot and that went away. And what's mm-hmm. left is the smaller one specifically around of uh, the health health benefit plan. Yeah. And that got rewritten mm-hmm. uh, uh, to specifically deal with a new law. In mm-hmm. And what happened uh, just last week was that uh, a judge, district court judge, the first judge to look at that mm-hmm. said, okay, it looks to me like the new law is fine. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because the the San Francisco law that it was loosely modeled on had gone all the way through the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the yes. Ninth Circuit, you know, this is ten plus years ago, said, "Yep, that's fine." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I imagine this this bill or this court case could be on the same path there to the Ninth, oh, yeah. ninth District. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, going, okay. it's going back to the Ninth Circuit. We're not yeah. done with this yet. But, okay. But the city won the first round. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, a lot still ahead with that. Thank you for the coverage on that, Kevin. Let's move on to what's next. All right, some interesting legislation that slid in at the end of last week from Councilmember Mosqueda. She's talking about gig food delivery workers, those transit network company drivers like from Uber, Lyft, etc. She is working on something specifically, an ordinance that would ensure paid sick days for these folks. Kevin, this is this was something that was very interesting. I know Councilmember Mosqueda has a big labor background here. She's really trying to help some of these gig workers out, especially during the time of COVID when so many of them are affected. Yeah, and and you know part of the context of this that we really need to understand mm-hmm. is because they're gig workers, they're treated as independent contractors, yes. so they don't get paid sick and safe time like yeah. you know, that all you know, full time mm-hmm. employees do, but they still need to earn a living, right? Yeah. So if they get COVID, if they get sick, mm-hmm. and they still need to pay for you know put food on the table and pay the rent and all that stuff, are they going to keep driving the car? Yeah. And delivering food right. and, you know, and doing Uber Lyft, you know, uh, rides. Mm-hmm. If they're sick, we really don't want them to do Absolutely that. Absolutely not. Right. 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 For, the, for the sake of public health, we don't mm-hmm. want them doing it. Yep. So, so uh, Councilman Mosqueda has introduced a bill that's going to go through the, 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 the council's uh, mm-hmm. process. Yeah. That will grant um, sick and safe leave time mm-hmm. to... Uber and Lyft drivers and yeah. to uh, drivers who are working for food delivery services. Yeah. 
Yeah, basically one or... one sick day for every 30 days worked is the math I'm looking at here. Yeah, so one sick day for every 30 days worked, which, mm-hmm. you know, if you figure on average people, you know, a full day's work could be 20 days a month. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, it's equivalent to nine days of sick, sick time a year, which is, it's basically what full-time workers, yeah, you know, yeah. full-time employees get. Roughly, they yeah. Get about, they get about nine days a year. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, that's about, that's about the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some little complicated rules about exactly how they would get paid. It's based on sort of average compensation for the workers. And I, mm-hmm. I, I'm just, you know, just doing a first look at the text as that's written. Yeah, it's probably going to get changed a little bit because yeah. there's, there's, there's some issues to be worked out. There. But, uh, you know, it's a, good, it's a good first start to try to deal with some of these issues about how do we actually get them some protection that they would need so that they really don't feel compelled to work, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the greater good of public health right now while we've got a pandemic going. Yeah, that's a huge deal. I, I, who pays for this thing? I guess that's the big question that, that would, of all this. That would be their employers. <laughs> yeah, employers right. Who pay for that. Right. It sounds like this is moving relatively quickly, folks, so we'll keep an eye on this. But Council Member Mosqueda is bullish on making this happen. Uh, she's saying that you, we could see a vote on it from the council as soon as the 26th of May. So definitely something we're going to keep track of there. All right. Hey, folks, you know what? It's time to start wrapping up the show. And as always on this program, we like to end this Coffee Break podcast with a little bit of a treat and some baking wisdom with Kevin. So uh, I'm usually Kevin will provide something, bring it to the table. The man has been busy doing a lot of different work. So I brought something super special that I wish I could pass pass through the internet to you, my man here, but um, I'll give you the breakdown on this. So my daughter, as I salivate looking at this thing, uh, my daughter, Emma, is uh, the big, big baker in the house and uh, has been looking at a number of different recipes. Kevin, of course, came through with the Brave Tart Cookbook a couple weeks ago, which was great. So she looked at that and said, yeah, that's cool, but how about this? She came up with this idea, and she's looked around uh, on the internet a little bit for this one, but this is but what she's calling a dessert lasagna, Kevin. I'm gonna try to hold Ooh, this up so you can see this here. Oh, look right. at that. Yeah, so you can see the, oh, strati- the stratification, yummy. if you will. So basically, we're, we're talking about uh, you got a cookie layer at the bottom, right? Then you do the fudge, then the caramel, and then cookie on top. Uh, she took out the coconut because that's not her jam, but um, it's breakfast, or excuse me, not breakfast lasagna. This is dessert lasagna, but eat dessert oh, for breakfast, absolutely. So yeah, so uh, I'm going to take a little bite here. Oh, yeah. Kevin, I think you've talked about this before, the, the gooiness that is necessary in a product of this sort. How do you do that? I mean, there's a certain way you really need to bake these things so that, yeah, you're baking them all the way, but there's a little bit less to give it that consistency on the inside. Yeah. Um, you know, the, there's part of it is, you know, thinking about sort of different kinds of thickeners that you want to use for, mm, for, yeah. for things. And part of it is just, you know, thinking about the chemistry of, of, of some of the materials you use. Mm-hmm. The, you know, we all love chocolate. Yes. True story. And as we should, because it's chocolate. Right? Mm-hmm. You know? and, <laughs> because you know, chocolate, the, yes. I, I was reading, you know, a couple months back, somebody talking about sort of what makes chocolate so amazing. Mm. And one of the reasons, one of the things, I mean, to your point about the gooiness of this, one of the things that makes chocolate so amazing is at room temperature, it's solid. Mm-hmm. But at body temperature, it's liquid. Ooh, right? Okay. So it melts in your mouth. Right? <laughs> and that's what it's all about. Guaranteed. All right. And that's, and that's what makes things like, you know, dessert lasagna or, you know, anything yeah. with that's got a chocolate or chocolate fudge yeah. aspect of it really, you know, cool and, and, and 
you know, fun to eat. Yeah, this is that it's going to change from solid to liquid. Yeah, while while it's in your mouth. I love it. I love it. I love it. Got a little bit of a Toll House cookie kind of kind of a thing going on here too. But wow, a lot more dangerous than that. Well, I tell you what. Uh, thank you for joining me once again, Kevin. Really appreciate your input here on all the things political and things baking as well. Thank you, Brian. All righty. So the next time you want to find out what's going on in local politics, give us a listen and find out what's brewing right here on Seattle News Views and Brews. You can reach us via email at seattlenewsviewsandbrews at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And please, please support us on Patreon if you like what you're hearing. And as always, thanks for listening. Seattle News Views and Brews is an independent production of Calaman Media Services. Copyright 2020.